You are listening to episode five of season six of Partnerships and Possibilities, a podcast on leadership. In this episode, haven't we heard this before? Hi, I'm Diana Larson. And I'm Sharon Buckmaster. Together, Sharon and I are the founders of FutureWorks Consulting. Now in our sixth series of podcasts about leadership and organization development and change. Sharon, we have been paying attention to all of the commentary that's been going on about women in organizations, women in leadership, particularly women in technology, mm-hmm. um, that we've seen in online journal articles and print articles and uh, blog posts and podcasts and you know all of those channels. And one of the things that I've noticed and that you and I have discussed is that many of those um, issues that are being raised, um, and, you know, rightfully so that they are being raised, but that they are kind of covering old ground. Much of this stuff is are patterns that we have been seeing right. and, and, and making explicit. I guess we probably, people probably were even seeing them before, but we've been making them explicit since at least the 70s and maybe earlier than that. Um, and it seems like, you know, 45 years is a long time to keep talking about the same stuff. Um, I recently, there was a, an article published um, by McKinsey that, about uh, fostering women leaders that was not bringing anything new to the table. Um, and, and I think you have some comments about, about that. Yes, and, I do. And, uh, you know, I saw on actually the um, Women in Agile LinkedIn group recently, there was a, con- a discussion about a woman saying, you know, that a, a marketing strategy a man had told her about, or her, one of her male colleagues had told her about, about getting recommendations on LinkedIn and how he went about doing that. And he was encouraging her to do the same thing, and she tried it, and it wasn't working for her at all. Mm-hmm. She was getting no response. Well, that, I mean, that's those kinds of things have been happening for a long time, and and I think that's known, and and it'd be great if people would sort of take those as givens and move the conversation forward. And so, and we have begun to see a couple of ways in which the conversation is moving forward, and would like to highlight that. But first, I don't want to hear your reaction to this fostering uh, women. What is the, what's the exact title of it? Uh, fostering women leaders: a fitness test for your team. Um, your top team. Your top team, more of an executive team. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I I don't know anything about the woman who wrote this article, but um, it it was apparent when I read it that she really didn't know very much about the history of how we got to where we are now. So she was posing five questions that a senior leadership team should be asking itself if it really was serious about its commitment to having women, um, you know, um, to, to having real gender equity in the organization, especially making sure that it was, it was, um, real at the at the senior levels, and um, there is nothing wrong with her basic five questions, but to me it was like, 
duh. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course they should be doing that. Right. And that isn't enough. Mm. Um, and furthermore, the, um, you know, in, in one of her recommendations, let me, let me um, read you something, um, a, a quote from this. Um, many women, she, she, the question she was asking, her number two question was, what skills are we helping women build? Many women's programs focus on convening, creating, and broadening networks. Already she's in trouble. Because if yeah. that's all they're doing, that's, yeah, yeah okay. Mm-hmm. Um, while these are important investments, they are insufficient. Companies should also instill the capabilities women need to thrive. Some of the most important are resilience, grit, and confidence. Well, <laughs> why do we assume that women need special training in resilience, grit, and confidence? Only if resilience, grit, and confidence look very different between when they're expressed by men and when they're expressed by women. And yeah. all people going into leadership roles need that. Need that. Yeah. So why single women out? Like, they're deficient in some way. Yeah. You know, frankly, most of the women I know are so resilient it's unbelievable. And if men were, were, were even half that resilient, mm-hmm. um, it would be a good thing. Yeah. Because <laughs> women are, you know, right. typically um, wearing multiple hats in ways that men still don't typically have to do yeah. as much. So, so I, I mean... This really infuriated me. Mm-hmm. It also, I mean, one of her other recommendations was looking at the women in the, in the talent pipeline. Well, of course you would be looking at the women in the talent pipeline. I mean, that is hardly a radical or new <laughs> idea. Um, yeah, so Assuming it, you have women in your talent pipeline. And, and also... You know, it, some of the best leaders I have encountered in my life would not necessarily have ever showed up in anybody's talent pipeline until they were put in a role they didn't really have the opportunity to shine, both men and women. Mm-hmm. And they would not necessarily have been picked out somebody as somebody who was a high potential in the current role they were in because it wasn't a good match. So there's all kinds of reasons why there wouldn't be the women that you need to be looking for in a formalized pipeline. And, well, and that's it's not true. a new idea. Yeah, yeah. that's true. And, yeah. I mean, that, that begs the whole question about the number of women, especially when you're looking at the technology sector, the number of women who are you know, graduating um, with tech degrees, and that number has dropped. Yeah you know, seriously and everything that goes with it. So just, just looking at your, at the pipeline is really inadequate. I mean, it's a, it's a, of course you need to be doing it, but you need to be going further upstream and looking at why, why is the number dropping and what can organizations do about partnering with, um, 
with uh, colleges and universities and even earlier with, right. with high schools and junior high schools to get women more interested, you know, the whole STEM um, right. work. So, so, I mean, when I looked at this article, I thought, okay, not, not to, you know, right. not, not to put her in a, in a box, but it, it's, um, it's a lot of lip service it's not a lot of really serious thinking. Mm -hmm. But in contrast to that, HBR just had an article that I did think was really good. Um, and it's called Rethink What You Know, and mm -hmm. know is in quotes about high-achieving women. And the lead author is Robin Eli. And it, Robin is one of the people who comes, who, you know, I've known about, um, I've never met her, but she... Um, was at the Simmons, mm -hmm. you know, um, Catalyst? No, not no, a Catalyst. Not like Catalyst. Catalyst is in New oh, York. Oh, the Center for Gender Equity. Yeah, yeah. the Simmons Center. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for reminding me of the name. Yeah. Um, in Boston. Mm -hmm. And she's a researcher, and she got two other researchers, and they did a really interesting study about a group of, a fairly large group of Harvard MBAs men and women, and what their expectations were about um, work and, and family uh, when they graduated, and what that looks like um, some years down the road. And they looked at uh, baby boomer types, they mm -hmm. looked at you know, Gen Xs, and then at Gen Ys. And they were really frustrated by mm -hmm. some of the other research that they'd seen. And so they thought that they would take a very different tack and they would ask people, you know, where do you expect to be? What do you, what do you think, you know, the role of family versus career will be in your life? Um, what do you think, uh, your, the, who's, whose career will take priority, yours or your spouse's? Um, who's going to do the bulk of child rearing? And, mm -hmm. Well, their data uncovered what I think is a much richer expect a, a much richer um, place to begin to really make change, which is that early on, um, you know, if you look at the baby boomer generation of mm -hmm. which you and I would mm -hmm. be sort of prototypical. We, we knew we wanted to work, and we knew we wanted to have families, and we kind of knew that we probably would play second fiddle, at least early, much earlier on in our lives, to our husbands' careers, and um, that we would do the bulk of the child raising. Yeah, this is all new in quotes, yeah. <laughs> like you said before. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. but then the Gen Xers had a much different mm -hmm. picture. The men still thought that their careers would take priority mm -hmm. and their spouses would do the child rearing, but yeah. the women didn't have those expectations. Yeah. So later on in their lives, when they find out that mm, that's the way it worked out anyway, yeah. they report being really unhappy and yeah. really frustrated. 
because life didn't turn out the way they expected. Mm-hmm. And now the Gen Ys are starting out with a much uh, more uh, level... I mean, they're much closer in terms of their expectations. Men and women. Men and women. Yeah. But society hasn't really changed all that much. And so the women, it's just beginning to dawn on some of them that this expectation of um, everything's going to be equal, even Stephen, oh, gee, maybe... It ain't going to work out quite that way. Yeah. Now, now that is more, um, I mean, to me, that, that, that actually conveys a bit more optimism that if, that, if you can actually isolate that as a, mm-hmm. as a place where interventions really need to occur, yeah. because there really is a differing set of expectations. And in essence, we, we we're sort of setting people up for, you know, a collision course. And if we don't do some interventions, it isn't going to change. Right. I can work with that. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Well, you know, it, this, all of what you're saying is reminding me of a, um, um, blog post and I I wish I remember the person's name I it was a link that I got from Twitter and I read the whole yeah. thing and and actually you know because it was a reference the the author's name didn't really stick for me but um, it was a it was a wonderful article about uh, this this woman was writing about all of the um, uh, discussion that's going on in Silicon Valley right now about uh, women in startups and and venture capital firms and yeah, yeah. and why venture capital firms aren't funding women's startups at the same level and there she had a, a ton of really wonderful data and, and statistics to back yeah. it up um and that a lot of the excuse that she was hearing for why there aren't more women represented in a in uh particularly in venture capital firms or in upper levels of startups, was the whole STEM question. Um, you know, there just aren't enough women engineers, there aren't enough whatever. And, and this woman, it was awesome because she just blew that argument out of the water. She said, why are we only looking for women engineers for these roles? It's not like we only look for male engineers for these roles. Mm-hmm. You know, a woman coming from some other field, political science or, you know, the humanities, for God's sakes, or whatever, would bring a rich and wonderful perspective. Women MBAs would bring a rich and wonderful perspective to those roles. They don't necessarily have to come from engineering backgrounds. And for me, what that highlighted was... And I, and I think this relates to the article you were talking about, is that when we think about women as leaders, we categorize them much more narrowly. We think we have to find this kind of woman or a woman with this background or, you know, yes, oh, we'd love to hire women. They We think they'll look like this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to... 
you know, 50% of the population, maybe 51, I, I look yeah. lately, but, right. you know, is, is available to you sort differently, right? Think differently about who might be a good match right. for your need, for your startup, as a part of your startup, as a part of your, you know, they could be your engineer, they but they could be your business development person, or they could be your uh, chief designer, or they could be, I mean, could come from anywhere. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, um, and I thought that was just kind of an interesting, it's like, really? Still, we're doing that? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and that, that was a little bit annoying as well. <laughs> well, you and know, I, although I was glad she was sort of pointing that out, it just said, you know, gosh, it's the same old, same old stuff, just like you're, like you're talking about. You're reminding me of a, a, a quote that, uh, I mean, a line that appeared at the end of this article um, in HBR that, um, well, let me read this to you and see what you think about this. Um, the fact that Harvard Business School alumna, alum, alumnae, yeah. A-E, <laughs> plurals, plurals yeah, <laughs> yeah. are finding themselves in relationships in which their careers are subordinate to their partners often means that they, um, often more than they anticipated, strikes us as rather meaningful. Our findings indicate that ending up in less egalitarian partnerships is disappointing, perhaps especially so when a career has stalled. In fact, women may be doing more and more childcare because their careers have stalled, leading them to default to the support role in which their jobs are secondary. Yeah. So what if we turn that whole argument on its head that, yeah. you know, the reason, yeah, women are doing more and more childcare, um, just like they always have, isn't because it's ordained that they do the childcare, but because, in fact, their careers don't take off as well as men's careers do. And so when a family looks at, well, who brings in more income? We gotta have somebody stay home with the kids or, or whatever. Take, or take primary, right. give primary attention. You make less, so, you, yeah. right, okay, right. I make less, so I should do it. So, so yeah. maybe, maybe we've been looking at this the wrong way, that you know it's kind of chicken or egg, and we've been looking at the chicken when maybe we should be looking at the egg. Right. Pardon the, you yeah, know, the, right. the whole thing, but... Yeah. I mean... Well, that's that's really interesting because, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't want to... I guess I don't want to prejudice this, but when we don't have work that any of us, men or women, don't have work that feels compelling and fulfilling... We're going to look for some place where that is compelling and fulfilling. And, you know, childcare is that. Sure. You know, you, you have this sense of I'm preparing the next generation. Sure. I'm doing, you know, so if I'm not being fully utilized, fully, you know, really feeling like I'm a big contributor at work. Right. It's an easy shift to make right. if you're already being expected to do that work. Right. Right. You right. can just give more and more of your energy to it. Which is that? So that's a really interesting argument. I mean, and an insight. I think that if if I'm not 
if my workplace isn't drawing on me in a satisfying way, I'm, you know, I'm going to do that. I might even move into more volunteer roles, you know, I mean, which is great for the community, but not necessarily good for my pocketbook. Right. Right. Um, All of those kinds of things. This, I'm going to segue this a little bit because um, there was another thing happening in the last couple of days on Twitter where there were four or five people. Uh, I was, I was one of them, though I joined the conversation late, um, talking about this conundrum that, that someone was having about how do I, how do I show myself? As somebody who can step into leadership in my organization, how do I show up that way? And it had begun, it had gotten into a, you know, part of her comment was, you know, she's still kind of expected to clean up the lunchroom area, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Mm -hmm. and and somebody else, um, a man, very well-meaning man. I will say, um, said, well, but that's a way of showing servant leadership. And so it was this whole conversation about, you oh, know. And, and, how, and that, how often is he doing that? Well, he works alone, so that, that's not an issue for him. But Oh, I see. But, okay. Um, okay. but he did also say, um, you know, grab a couple of guys and say, let's clean up and, and be the leader in that way, you know, in, engaging other people and also doing the work. Um, I mentioned that I had just been um, at a client site sitting in the lunchroom at, around noon and and one of the women there was clearing up, filling the dishwasher. The dishes had been left in the sink and getting things kind of mm-hmm. spruced up. And, and another woman who was sitting at the table with me looked at her and spoke her name and said, thank you so much for what you're doing to keep things clean around here. And I believe this was on a Tuesday. She said, this is the last time you do that this week. Mm -hmm. Right? So I appreciate that you're doing it, and we cannot only let it fall on the women here Mm -hmm. to do this. Mm -hmm. We've got to be communicating that somebody else has to step up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and so that was... So um, the Twitter conversation went on about, you know, there was some interesting back and forth about how, yeah, if a man were to do that, were to step up, were to say to a couple of the other guys, hey, let's get this place cleaned up so it's nicer for all of us, that would be seen as a leadership move. Yeah. And it would be acknowledged as servant leadership. Right. A woman doing that... Is just, that's what you expect. She's either, you just expect her to do it, or she's nagging the men. Well, right, all and right. So it's and kind of like, so how do you right. get past that? And yeah. remember, that's what Joyce Fletcher right. talked about in that book many years ago called, you know, the um, uh, disappearing acts. Right. That that women are expected to do certain things, and so they, yeah. in essence, don't get credit for doing them. Yeah, um, and it's only if they don't do them. That it's, that, that it's noticed. Yeah. Because otherwise it's just, well, that's the way the world works. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so the the and the whole conversation was kind of devolved to uh, the women who were involved in it who were saying, Well, I never do that stuff on mm-hmm. principle. <laughs> 
And other women saying, well, I'm willing to do it some of the time, you know, but I just don't want to be expected to do it all the time. Sure. And, 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 you know, uh, one man who's saying, well, I don't, I still don't quite understand why that isn't servant leadership. And the other, and another man saying, you know, you, you really can't see the world from that perspective. Um, you can't really know what it's like because you're a man, mm. right? You've never been involved in that. And mm. so it was, it, there were a lot of different points of view in this one little Twitter stream. And of course, communicating at 140 characters <laughs> a pop yeah. was not all that easy. But it just, it just highlighted for me, we keep talking about this stuff, but we're talking about exactly the same patterns, it's like nothing is really moving forward. I would, I really would not mind having conversations about women in organizations if we were talking about some new things. Right. But like Joyce's book, Disappearing Acts, was what published in the eighties or early nineties? Uh, in the nineties. Yeah, and there there were a bunch of books actually. Deborah right. Cannon's books. There were right. a bunch of books published around right. that late eighties, early nineties right. time. I don't know if anybody's going back and reading those. Or if they're just experiencing the same things all over again, there must be like a Yogi Berra quote in here somewhere. Um, you know, well, doing the of, same things and expecting different results, yeah, kind and, of stuff, and not and you know not knowing what you don't know. Right. I mean, there's, there's and not that. taking the time to go see yeah. if you can find out what you don't know. Right. And I don't know how that gets fostered either, but. Um, I don't know. I mean, at some level, I sort of, on my best days, I say, well, if nothing else, there will be a generational change. You know, people with old patterns will die off or leave organizations or whatever, and people who have new patterns will come in and, and shift things. But I've been in organizations long enough now, and I know you have too, where the patterns I saw in the 70s aren't that different from the no. ones I saw in the 80s or 90s or aughts or now. Right. And so I don't, and I know there have been a lot of people who've retired in there. And so, and I, I'm not so confident in the generational shift. And I have a feeling if I talk to women, work people, women who were working in the 20s and 30s, mm -hmm. I might be hearing some of the same stuff. Yeah. Um, and... I think I, I think it's very likely I'd be hearing some of the same stuff, and not that much progress has been made, and that's kind of frustrating. This has been a, a podcast about frustration, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people that want to leave it, in essence, to um, the millennials to say, well, they're a different generation, so it will be different. I think that's a fantasy because they are inheriting patterns of what they've seen their parents do, they and their grandparents and all of that, and because it is impossible to have two careers going absolutely full tilt and at the same time and raising kids and blah, blah, blah. So, so people do have to figure out some kind of newer solutions, but it's not just up to the individuals. I think organizations have to do their part too. And all of the kinds of things that, you know, uh, of 
you know, looking at your talent pipeline and blah, blah. Of course, those are givens. But at the same time, organizations have to deal with some more fundamental questions that they've been unwilling, I think, to deal with. That has to do with meaning at work. Mm -hmm. That has to do with flexibility, real flexibility about work. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we all know that, you know, if people opt to, um, you know, work from home for a while or whatever, and, you know, they get labeled as being on a mommy track, you know, they're Mm -hmm. toast. Mm-hmm. They're toast. So, you know, we, we need some organizational level serious thinking um, that I don't think we've had very mm-hmm. much up till now. Um, and, I, you know, I'm not even sure what, what, what the answers are, but, but I know that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a combination of things that society and relationships have to adapt but organizations have to adapt too. They mm-hmm. can't just say, well, we're going to expect women to do everything a man does, you know, and do it backwards in high heels, you mm-hmm. know, that the, yeah. old Ann Richards quote. Yeah. Um, but um, the, I don't think we've thought deeply enough about it. And, and that quote um, in the Robin Eli article about looking at what's happening maybe from you know by by shifting the way we look at it on its head was like the first kind of original thought i've seen in a long time mm-hmm. so i guess i'm although i started this thinking nah, you know yeah. this is so discouraging <laughs> uh, maybe there is a glimmer or two of hope <laughs> and with that we would encourage your um comments um, Please share your glimmers of hope <laughs> yeah, with us. Got it. <laughs> Please leave a comment on our blog or email us info at futureworksconsulting.com or find us on Twitter at futurewks. This has been episode five of season six of Partnerships and Possibilities. Thanks for listening.